Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark, and can you believe we're already at the big 7-0? 70 episodes done and dusted. It's mad. And you know what? I've never been busier. I have more interviews in the diary coming up over the next few weeks than I've ever had. I've got interviews ready and edited to give you guys in the next few weeks, and it's absolutely full on at the moment. But I have no desire or urge to slow down, so expect loads of interviews coming your way over the next few weeks. And I want to celebrate today. So we're at the big 7-0, the big 70. So on today's episode, I'm going to be joined by the Soska sisters. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have both Sylvia and Jen join me for this episode of Mark and Me. But in true, typical Mark and Me fashion, you know the score by now. I like to touch base and talk about the response from the last episode. So I was joined by Craig Reardon. And this interview blew up. And I know I say this on every episode, but I couldn't believe the response to this episode. And me and Craig have been talking over the last couple of weeks about it. And the last week that the messages have been coming through, the emails, the Facebook comments, I put it out there and said it was my favourite interview to date that I had done. And that's crazy because it's not the biggest name in the world and people are more excited by people like Anthony Hopkins and Mads Mikkelsen and Kevin Smith. And maybe you don't know who this guy was. But then when I went into the interview and explained who it was, everyone was like, oh my God, I didn't realise he did the work on this film and that film. And the response has been phenomenal. Craig couldn't believe it and I've had my first number two podcast in the chart. So that speaks volumes and it's been incredible. I shared all of the tweets, the Facebook comments, the emails with Craig directly and he's actually sat with his family, gone through the wall and been blown away by the response. So thank you for everyone that's taken the time to listen and even more those people that have took the time to give their response and feedback on the episode. It was overwhelming and I loved every minute of it so thank you. But like I said, today's episode 70 and I'm joined by the Soska sisters. These girls are incredible. They gave me one of my favourite horrors, American Mary, and most recently their reimagined remake version of Rabid. And it's their take, it's not a direct remake. And do you know what? It's fucking awesome. I was lucky enough to see a screener of this just before the recent Fright Fest here in the UK. And it's right now one of my films of the year. It's so fucking awesome. And it's out on DVD and Blu-ray over here in a few weeks. Go and buy it, honestly. It's so, so good. And David would be very, very proud of the work they've done. They are absolute geniuses and I can't believe they're here today. So instead of juicing you up and leaving you and then going, oh, let's get to it. Let's actually just do just that. Let's get straight to the interview. So here I am with Sylvia and Jen Soska talking all things horror. How are you both? This is Jen. We're so good. We just had a little nap and uh, we're all caught up over the jet lag. I'm so happy to be back in the UK for Fright Fest. It's like a dream come true. This is Sylvia. You know, the film is such a surreal kind of experience. I'm glad that I'm in the mindset for experiencing things in a surreal manner right now. It feels entirely appropriate. Amazing. So what I wanted to do is take it back to the start of your career and I wanted to know... Basically, what were your favorite films growing up that helped shape the taste of films you have now? This is Sylvia. You know, it's so funny because there's, of course, like Poltergeist and uh, Altered States, which is a bit uh, a bit harsh for a first film. But there were two films I remember I had to sneak because I was completely forbidden from watching them. And one was Shivers and one was Crash. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I even realized that it was the exact same filmmaker. But David's work always left a, a big uh, a big impression on us, no matter what we were doing. This is Jen. For me, uh, you know, we used to watch some films that were actually quite revolutionary without realizing it. 
Who Framed Roger Rabbit is still my favorite film. I thought it was just masterfully done. And it's one of the few films that as a child you can enjoy it as one at one level. And then as an adult you can enjoy it at a completely different level. Little Shop of Horrors we watched all the time. Ghostbusters. And, you know, they seem like traditionally kind of horror funny movies, but the cinematography, the storytelling, it was just so pitch perfect. I was spoiled for choice as a child. And thankfully, my parents, especially my mom, would watch horror movies with me. So everything but Bram Stoker's Dracula was on the docket. This is Sylvia. And also, uh, one of the ones that we also watched was Tales from the Crypt, which was where we first got introduced to Masters Effects, who would go on to have a really great uh, prosthetic and makeup committed career with us. That's amazing and it's awesome that your parents were letting you watch these sort of things at such a young age because my parents wouldn't even let me watch like Alien until I was like 15. They were like, no, you need to wait and I was like, oh. Oh, that's awful. This is Jen. I had such a great moment watching Alien with my mom. My mom doesn't even remember it but I, it got to the end when the alien's there and it's just Jones and Ripley and I wanted to turn it off because I said, I don't want to see her die. And my mom said something that was kind of the evolution of the final girl. She said, oh, no, Ripley never dies. She always wins. And from that point on, I was just, like, addicted to this new version of a final girl. My mom didn't even remember saying that. She's like, I let you watch that? Jesus, I that <laughs> You just mentioned then as well you watch Crash, which is quite a fucked up film. Um, I think James Spader in yes. that film is absolutely awesome. But... um what was the point when you realized, hang on, this film feels like another film, you started researching directors instead of just taking them for granted with every film that you put in the DVD player? Well, this is Sylvia. I, I think I have to mention that we come from a very strongly Roman Catholic background. We are uh, two of the first female altar servers in, uh, in their whole church. So for us to get to do stu- watch stuff with uh, sexual material or nature, that was almost so taboo. And that's something that David loves playing with. He's not afraid of his own sexuality. He's not afraid of uh, taking on huge um, huge taboos and, and, and making uh, fetishes almost normalized and kind of showing you that other different type of world. I was probably in my 20s when I realized they were the same thing because I became a big Cronenberg fan and I didn't realize everything kind of had the same theme i was just so excited about like oh i know this guy's always going to have the weirdest stuff like i watched existence existence and i was like this is about video gaming but it's also entirely sexual this is jen david cronenberg it's just one of those artists that you look at his films and you're like oh he did this too oh this is one of his movies as well i remember when the late great bowie passed I was listening to all of his albums, and I was like, oh, shit, he did this song, too. And that's exactly how I felt with uh, David. It was the fly that really connected me to kind of the through line of all of his work in body horror. And then by the time a Serbian film came out, I didn't even know it was da- oh, not a Serbian film, sorry, Eastern Promises. <laughs> David didn't do a Serbian film. He could have. <laughs> Man, now I want to see a Serbian film by David. But Eastern Promises, it was such a sensationalized fight with especially the bathhouse fight. I heard about that fight with Vigo well before I even knew it was a Cronenberg film. And it was just such a massive masterful piece you know there's such a distinction from his early work which is really his body horror stuff and then the body horror continues but it seems to be so much more psychological thriller that he's working with now which is fantastic so what's it like in an industry where there's not enough female directors and producers to go out there and actually start your own production company of twisted twins that's an achievement in itself that you must be both very proud of 
This is Sylvia. Thank you so much for saying that. You know, it's funny because we grew up watching horror movies with our mom. So it was girl time. Even my dad was like, oh, you guys are going to watch that gross stuff. Okay. And we'd get so excited. And you'd see dad coming in and being like, what is everybody watching? So it wasn't until we went out into the world that we realized that horror had this negative connotation. We would read Stephen King books since we were nine, but we had to cover the uh, the covers because other students would get upset and we were constantly sent to the the principal's office, not because we weren't uh, straight-A students, we were through all of our academic career, but it was because of the nature of the, the, the creative kind of horrific uh, stuff that we were drawn to that had people a little bit more nervous. This is Jen. Thank you so much. We're actually going to be celebrating our 11-year anniversary. Wow. And it's funny, 10 years into uh, this year, on December 11th, appropriately so, so it's going to be a big 11-year uh, 10 years into David's career, he remade The Fly, which by today's standards is not at all a commercial film. Oh, my God, how could you put that in theaters to watch it? <laughs> I can't even eat watching The Fly still. Of course, David is our superior, so 11 years into our career, we remade one of his great films. And, you know, I, I had a lot of male heroes growing up. And until I got to around the teenage age where, you know, they start making a real separation between men and women, David Cronenberg, Wes Craven, I mean, all of them, Stephen King, I wasn't thinking that my heroes were men. But now as I'm a mature woman, I would say, you're 36 year old. I'm mature enough. I'm like a good wine and cheese. I, I see how important that representation is for young girls. And, you know, I won't name who, but there have been male heroes that, you know, sculpted me that I haven't mentioned that I got to the point where I actually got to meet. And they were not at all who they said they were. And they were not the marketing campaign uh, that they promised to be and I made myself a promise long ago that I was going to be that filmmaker for filmmakers especially female filmmakers but every independent artist because at some point people just become like these celebrities these elitists and I'm just a human I'm a humanitarian this is Sylvia I'm David is the nicest human being in the world he's a hero you should meet he'll he'll blow away all your expectations um we looked at all of the, the weird challenges we had, not only because we were identical twins, and there seems to be such a, a fetishized nature with, uh, with identical twins and the kind of a, a attention you get, but we put ourselves in a position where we were writer, directors, and producers, so all of a sudden it wasn't uh, the creative saying, oh, this is how we're going to represent twins, this is how we're going to represent the characters in your movie. We were the ones making those decisions, but we still had a lot of growing pains of the Me Too, Time's Up movement, which was actually, I look back at every single horrendous experience. I mean, we've done five feature films, a game show, we worked for Marvel Comics, and we were able to take all of those experiences that somebody might say, oh, that's negative, but I say, hey, that's a gift, because now when I go and talk to telefilm and say, hey, these are problems that Jennifer and I encountered, and wouldn't it be nice if we were able to put things and uh, implicate different changes so we could better protect our people, and now we're at a position to do that. So as embittered as I like to be about uh, certain, certain things, I'm like, you know, I'm really grateful all of the people that gave me a hard time because they made me a lot tougher. Mm -hmm. They probably regret the monster they created at this point. This is Jen, yeah, and it's not an easy job. I wouldn't wish this on my enemies. It, it, no matter what happens to us, especially if it's a really rough day or a rough patch, I think about how much easier it's going to be for artists coming after us. So I'm happy to blaze those trails. I love it. And listening to you and how much love and respect you have for David Cronenberg, what the hell was it like to try and think, right, let's remake and do <laughs> our version of one of his classics, because that's brave. 
This is Jen. Thank you so much. You know, I like to joke that we only had our hero, our peers, and our country to make proud, so what's to worry? <laughs> uh, I actually traditionally do not like remakes. I find a lot of them are incredibly manipulative. They're just cute little marketing campaigns that kind of cheat the fa horror fans out of their money, and if they make their box up this opening weekend, they don't care. So when we were first approached, my first infliction or intention was, oh my God, what if somebody remakes this film and does a bad job of it and somehow taints the great name of David Cronenberg? Because it's very easy to pick up Rabbit and say, oh, I guess it's a movie about rabies. Wrong. It's about transhumanism. <laughs> this is Sylvia. And, uh, you know, the fact that this movie came to us at the time that it did uh, feels very serendipitous. Oh, we had just, hadn't made a movie in years. We The last thing we had done was a, a game show, and then we were writing for Marvel Comics. Uh, we didn't know what our next movie would be, and we were really disenchanted with the opportunities we had. And I wanted to make something with Jen that really meant something to me. <laughs> and uh, David Cronenberg means everything to me. He means so much to me with his work. And how his kindness after we got to meet him after we made the film and it's continued uh, just being the most awesome master genius of all creation. It's like a love letter to everything he's done and we got to go back to film school. We got to re-remind ourselves why we were so in love with this genre and we hired cast and crew that worked with David so when we made the movie we could look over to like Brian Day who did all of his sound and be like, D-Day, what did... What did David do? Or you go over to the transfer department. It's Jeff. It's the entire. It's all the guys that worked on these movies and being like, okay, what cars does David like? Or you go over to Heidi Von Pallas from Dead Ringers and you're and she's in the Dead Ringers scene in our movie and you go, okay, so we're doing Dead Ringers. Tell me everything. And it's exciting because everybody involved was such a huge Cronenberg fan and it was just such a big love fest. It's it's one of the coolest opportunities ever. I only hope that he likes it um when i asked him if he would watch it he looked at me and he was like you sure you want me to watch it and i, I told him we only made it for you and he was like okay no i will tell you honestly what i think about it which i think is I, i've just been waiting with bated breath ever since that meeting this is jen he's not the kind of guy to send you an email and he's going to talk to you about art he's going to sit down across from you with a couple hours to burn that's just the kind of guy that he is you know i, I was kind of not let down by uh Argento's reaction to Suspiria when he said it had nothing to do with him and it was such a departure and it makes me sad it makes me sad when you take something and you don't respect the original to the point that the original creator doesn't even understand why it's called the same thing or why it's like that the complete opposite is true about our rabbit if you like David or if you like anything in the film you like David it's all it's all a love letter to David there's tons of easter eggs to every horror movie but there's so much to David that there's stuff pulled from his commentary there's stuff pulled from like Cronenberg on Cronenberg it's so intimate you really have to be David Cronenberg to fully appreciate it. <laughs> also I've noticed that you've loved working with wrestlers you've had the big show you've had Kane but in your most recent film you've got Phil Brooks and for me one of my favorite wrestlers of all time is CM Punk I love his attitude I love his work oh, you have great yeah, his work ethic. I just, I just think he's a really cool guy, and a lot of people don't understand the real him. They just think, you know, because he tells them to fuck off in an airport and stuff, that, you know, he's not a nice guy. But what was it like working with such a great guy, and how did you get his buy-in to do this? This is Sylvia. You know, uh, Phil was supporting us 
before I was ever supporting Phil, I remember my phone went insane one day, and he re- he tweeted that he was doing a Canadian double feature, and he was watching Dead Hooker in a Trunk and Hobo with a Shotgun, and everybody went nuts over that, and of course we thanked him, and we hadn't been working for the company yet, but we're like, this is, this is so utterly cool. And later, when we would end up working for the company, I found out that he took American Mary and gave it to everybody backstage. and was like, this is a really cool horror movie. You should see it. So we actually became friends. And uh, when we got hired by WWE for a, for a movie, all three of us were pretty shocked. It wasn't a Sasuke Sisters CM Punk movie. And then we did another one, and it still was CM Punk. And uh, as soon as we got this opportunity to do the Cronenberg movie, uh, Phil was actually the first person I reached out to. Uh, we wanted him originally for uh, Brad Hart's love interest, but uh, for whatever reason, we weren't able to cast him in it. But he literally saw every stage of the script, all the development, and I was like, I can't have you in that part, but what if you played Billy for us? And I don't, if, if you've watched our films, there's always a dog named Billy in almost every every one of our movies. And he was like, oh, this guy. And he does such a great job. He does his own stunts. He he starts his day by going through a glass window with a bunch of explosives. Everyone's scared, and he's so he's such a star. He's like, oh, this is fun. I'm just worried about talking and screwing up later. Uh, uh, April Mendez, his wife, also came and did a, a part in the film. The two of them were so down to earth, so humble. A lot of the time when I talk to Phil, I'm like, it's like you don't know that you're a super famous person that everybody loves. He's just so... He's just so real, you know? It, nothing ever changes that about him. This is Jenya, absolutely. Phil is the real deal. He, that straight edge, uh, hardcore stuff, absolutely true. It's not just the gimmick, which uh, you can tell is a big difference from a lot of the wrestlers. A lot of the wrestlers kind of live in this stripper world where they have like their stripper persona, their real persona, and then there's this third kind of mesh-up. Phil is the same person all the time. I really hate when people say that wrestlers aren't great actors. Wrestlers are actors that do it in one take to an audience of thousands of people live screaming at them, usually fresh lines handed to them as they're walking down the ramp, and millions more people watching at home and social media just hating on them. It's insane. I always love to work with wrestlers because it kind of brings up the overall work ethic for the other actors. And I'll say it right now, I'd rather have a professional wrestler than a regular actor because the hardest thing in the world is to get an actor to act, especially a successful one. They're all about their trailer and their money and all that shit. CM Punk is about doing a film that's a Cronenberg remake. He loves horror movies. He loves acting. He was so excited to be in the film. That's the kind of people I want to work with, the people that really want to be there. This is Sylvia, and he's also starring in Travis uh, Stevens' directorial debut, The Girl on the Third Floor. So it's been a big like horror movie uh, debut year for Punk, and I think I think he's going to keep going. There's a there's a, a cop buddy comedy we want to want to get him in on too. So he's going to get sick of us always bothering him. This is Jen. I hope to introduce you to him one day. We were oh. trying to get him to come with us, but it didn't work out. He really wanted to be here. You have no idea. They, I've, I've interviewed many people in my life. Anthony Hopkins, Kevin Smith, Mads Mickelson, and he's top of my list. But, you know, how the hell do you get hold of Phil Brooks? You know, it's... Uh, he's can, not... I, can I do that for you? Would you like to interview him for Rabbit? I would do a whole special for this film for him. I would absolutely dream to. Done. Oh. Done. Phil's, Phil's one of my closest friends. Let's make sure that we get your information. Let's see. Well, you have my personal number. Just text me after this and we'll set it up. Yeah, Phil would love that. We'll too. talk all about acting. I don't want to talk about wrestling. I want to talk about horror and why he did this and his perspective of being in this film. 
Oh, he's he's so brilliant. Like I I can't I honestly can't say enough good things about him. Like there's so many challenges during this movie, and he acted so cool. And everybody's looking around at this superstar, being like, "Well, he's cool, and he's giving autographs to everybody and taking pictures with kids. Everything's got to be fine, right?" This is Jen, and he's a great interview too. And he's so tired of talking about fucking wrestling. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> the don't. True stuff he can't really talk about, right? Because he just got sued for saying, "Hey, you don't take care of your wrestlers." Yeah, the WWE is a fucking evil company. Yeah, I, I, I want wa- to watch it fall. I'll be toasting marshmallows as it burns. <laughs> I, I, I'll be watching AEW and just thinking, "Fuck you, they won." Same. Oh my god, oh, we gotta have a wrestling talk because Dustin's one of our closest friends too. I'm so proud of him. Yeah, AEW is going to be the thing that I think ultimately takes wrestling down. Yeah. I wish you all the best this weekend with the release and everything goes well at Fright Fest and I'll drop you a text and we'll do a follow-up because everyone will be like, I want to hear more and we'll give them more and we'll give them CM Punk <laughs> and everything. Oh, you're so lovely. That's perfect. Thank you awesome. so much. I will drop you a text. Thank you for your time. Good luck with the next interview and I'll speak to you soon. Oh, thank you. Take thank care. You. Bye-bye. Bye. So there it is. There's my interview with the incredible Sylvia and Jen. Both of these sisters are absolute brilliant guests. And do you know what? I'll just say it now. That interview was way too short. I was allocated 20 minutes, and this is a bit of behind the scenes. Most of my guests, there's no real time limit. I can talk for as long as I want. These girls both had a really hectic schedule. With Fright Fest, back-to-back interviews. So much press, so much media work to do to promote this new film. And I get that, and I was very lucky to have that 20 minutes. But I just felt like we were just getting going. You can hear us, we're hitting it off straight away. And since this interview, I've been texting them directly. And we're speaking on most days, actually, about stuff. And they've agreed to come back on. We'll have no time limit. We can talk all about the history of the girl's career up to now. I want to know all about the inspirations, all about the makings of the previous films and the future that lies ahead. These girls are incredible. And I'm so, so lucky to have had these on the episode. But the best part is there's going to be a second part soon. And we're going to get much more into depth about stuff and do the proper Mark and Me treatment. But this is a nice little trailer and a nice way to juice you up for the big stuff coming up. Thanks again to both of them for taking the time to join me. It's an absolute honour and pleasure to speak to you both and I can't wait to see what the future holds. Again, if you haven't seen the film yet, Rabid, go and see it because it's brilliant and buy it on DVD and Blu-ray. It's available in the next few weeks. You will not regret it and at the moment it's in my top five films of the year. Probably top three, it's that good. So I can't wait at the end of the year to come up with my top five and be talking about this film in more and more detail. Also, everyone, if you haven't checked out my own episode, this is weird. So I was actually asked to be a guest on the Nerds Chatting podcast, which are some great, great guys. And Nate asked me to come on his own solo podcast where he just talks about random stuff with random people. And I was actually lucky enough to be a guest on this. Go and check it out. I think it's on Twitter and Facebook and all the usual channels, but just search Nerds Chatting. And I'm on there under the episode of Just Chatting. And it was an absolute pleasure. So if you want to hear me being asked questions instead of asking the questions... There's your opportunity. In the meantime, guys, you know the score by now. Markandme.com has my Twitter link, my Facebook link, and my Instagram link. You can also drop me an email. I love reading them. I reply to every single mail and every sort of tweet or Facebook comment I get. I make sure I always, always acknowledge them, and I'll always give you a reply. 
As you know, the servers have been very, very busy recently and I haven't been able to do prizes for the last couple of months on Patreon, but that changes. Right now in September, I'm just about to launch the brand new set of prizes for this month and we'll be starting to release the episodes early for all the Patreons again. It's just needed that the last couple of months have gone all into the bandwidth costs because I've had to increase the server space due to the actual popular and the amount of downloads required for this episode. But that's not a bad thing and do you know what? That's the best place to be in. But moving forward now, we've signed up for a enough bandwidth to cover all of the audience over the world and it also means that I can then start giving back some amazing prizes. If you haven't signed up to Patreon you can do that for as little as sort of 50p which is like the price of I don't know something that's 50p like a can of tango or something so please if you can do that it all helps and goes directly right back into the podcast. I don't make any money on this I actually put my own money into it and it just allows me to get more and more interviews for you lovely people at home. It's a really exciting time, as I mentioned at the start of today's podcast. There's some incredible stuff coming up and a huge, huge guest coming up next and an even big one after that. It really is full on at the moment. You know what to do by now. Follow me on Twitter, follow me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram and you'll start getting some hints over the next few days. Thanks again for listening today and I'll speak to you all in a week's time. Darkest deep